Welcome to Sustainability School, the practical podcast that provides tips and ideas for people who care about the environment and want to make a positive difference with their actions. I invite you to learn about sustainability with us. Let's make sense of the climate crisis step by step and find out what we can do about it. My name is Kaisa, and today I am very excited to interview Madis Metsis, a biologist with many years' experience and wealth of knowledge on the subject of nature, biology and climate. Madis has worked in many of the world's top universities as a professor and researcher, such as the Scripps Research Institute La Yolla, California, where he, ha- he was associate professor in neuropharmacology, as well as in several private sector research and technology companies. Madis has published over a hundred scientific publications, some of them on subjects of trees, forests, fungi and the ecological interconnectedness of it all. So, I believe he is the perfect person to pick a brain on the subject of climate change and sustainability. Let's get into it. Hello, welcome Madis. Yes, hello, hi Kaisa. Thank you very much for joining me today. Could you tell us a bit about your background? I am a professional molecular biologist and I have been in research and university teaching for almost 40 years. And you have been traveling a lot and been involved in various different universities as well. Yeah, I, I've been working in Sweden and, and in, I've been working in the US and California and, and I've been traveling uh, pretty much uh, everywhere except, except Australia. But uh, I've been traveling all over the world and wherever I travel, I, I always look what is happening, how the people are treating the, the environment. And uh, if possible, I always visit also universities and I talk to other professors and teachers and well, what are their problems and how do they see the world. And, you know, like in places like India or, or Africa, both East and West Africa. And I always talk to people about the world around us and how we relate to the world and what the world is relating back to us. Mm-hmm. And how did you get involved in climate change issues? You know, I, I have to admit I have been, from the very beginning, pretty skeptical about all these climate issues when they came up in the beginning, except, of course, the ozone problem in, in Antarctica and later also in Antarctica. So, so all these, these climate stories have been pretty childish from the beginning. And uh, I, I really didn't see a direct meaning of, of all this story until I started to do a direct collaboration with some of, col- of my colleagues in Spain. This was a collaboration based on some agricultural studies and looking for the soil properties and soil biodiversity in different agricultural practices, how the land is used and, and what are the people doing. And then talking to the Spanish colleagues, I realized that they have seen the climate change de facto. They, especially the older professors who have been related to the agricultural studies since uh, early 60s, they are telling that, you know, that what we see today is nothing like it used to be, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, that the climate has changed. There is not enough uh, water in rivers in the spring. And if the high flood comes in the spring, then it comes only once every 10 years, while it used to be every second year. And there is never enough water to water the, the olive, olive orchards and, and, and all these things. And so 
then I, I, I started talking to them. I, I started to realize that uh, the climate change is, is really here because I have not seen myself any of these drowning islands in the oceans, I have to admit. So I have not been in these areas of the world. And, but I have seen how in the inner part of Spain and also in the eastern part of Portugal, the, the summers are very hot. And I have seen last year's the enormous forest fires in, in, in Portugal and so so that way the climate change has really touched me a lot during during last 10-15 years. Following from this, should we talk about what climate change is and why it is a problem in a bit more detail? You know, when we start to talk about climate change, we have to clear some specific issues because people are mixing up two things. They are mixing up weather and climate, you know, it's very human because we don't think about climate. We think about weather. We, we, we are not interested what is the temperature in 10 years. We're interested if it's raining tomorrow or not, or it's sunny. And the people are mixing up. So we have to, we have to look that in, in, the, in the reality and understand that weather and climate are, are the, you know, two sides of the same coin. While the, the first side, the weather side, is a short-term issue. So, of course, you know, we can have... A, we have a climate change. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have, you know, cold weather this winter or next winter. So last winter, and I think this winter also, you know, New York had already snow and many other places a couple of years ago, Israel had snow and, and Morocco had a really snowy winter in 2014, I remember. And that is always weather because that, what's happen- that is happening once. And it's it's not it has happened always. It's always going to happen, you know. In you can have snow on Canary Islands and you can have snow on Madeira also. It happens, but it doesn't mean that uh, we don't have a climate change and we don't have the warming because uh, the climate is a statistical term. Climate is something that we that is the weather over a period of time. We can take different times. We can take 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years. So, But the definition of climate, what NASA and other big organizations are using, is that the climate is the average weather over the last 30 years. So that gives, it gives us a time span. That means that uh, I have had in my life, you know, two climates at least already. And, and so the younger people, they are still in one climate cycle. So they, they cannot even talk that they didn't see a climate change because the time is too short. And that is a thing we have to take into account because uh, we cannot tell that, okay, last year Greenland caught more ice during the winter than the year before. You know, that Greenland got some new ice last winter doesn't mean that the climate is getting colder. There was a cold weather for one winter. So if we look for the last 30 years, the amount of ice in Greenland, in Alps, and in other places where we have the glaciers, the, the amount of ice has dropped. So mm-hmm. that, that's a fact, and that we cannot denounce. Plus that uh, if we look this the other side of the, of the climate change, then we have to talk about this uh, a lot recently discussed issues like 
Greta's most favorite issue, like the CO2 and also methane, that is not so much talked about because people really do not understand how and what. Mm -hmm. And we have to look into all these things and all, all the climate. So first is the, the greenhouse effect. So the greenhouse effect uh, has been discussed since, since 30 years ago, approximately. And that came up actually not in, in context of CO2, but more in context of methane and, and other uh, industrial used gases, uh, the greenhouse, they, they were called greenhouse gases. At that time, when it started, nobody was talking about CO2 because everybody was thinking, okay, CO2 is a normal thing, so we all breathe out CO2, so what's bad here? So, in fact, if we look back in the history of the Earth, so CO2 and methane are the two gases that created the greenhouse on Earth. That means that they have been trapping the heat on Earth. And if we won't have CO2 in the atmosphere today and also methane, then it would be so cold that, that there, won't, there won't be any mankind today because it would be impossible to live on this planet. It would be deep, deep minuses all the time. So these gases are very important because they, they keep the, the heat here on, on the surface of the planet and, and make the, the planet habitable. So now the question is that CO2, how much we have CO2, how much heat it keeps here. And so then is the question is the methane. So these two things are, are related. First, methane, we have to uh, know that, that it's 84 times as efficient keeping the the heat on the on the planet as compared to co2 of course the methane amount is much lower as compared to co2 also when you say it's efficient do you mean it in a negative way is that bad no you know bad and good all depends on the amount you know they tell that if you eat 10 kilograms of cabbage you die it doesn't <laughs> mean that cabbage is bad <laughs> you know, the same is yeah. true for CO2 and methane because, you know, they create the, the screen, they create the greenhouse that keeps our planet warm, and that's good. The question is that, that until which point is good? So sometimes when it come, becomes too warm, then it's not anymore so good. And, and then the problem, of course, here is that the, the CO2 and methane amount in the atmosphere is also directly linked to the temperature. So CO2 makes temperature higher and methane makes temperature higher and higher temperature makes more CO2 and more methane. You know, so we, we, are, we are in a kind of a catch-22 situation that it's a dead loop. We, we, have to, we have to get somehow out of this loop because if we don't get out, so it's a, it's a, it's a dead run. So we temperature's going to rise and rise and then it's going to get too hot. So that's the problem. So why is this higher temperature making more CO2 and methane? So we have to understand that where the CO2 is coming. So the CO2, as well as methane, is coming from two sources. One is the natural source, and another is the anthropogenic, the, the man-made source. So in both for CO2 and methane is also the other side, that's a sink side. The sink can be uh, man-made or, or natural. So by, by today, we do not have much man-made sink for CO2, but for methane, we actually do have a sink because plants can use it. And actually, methane is pretty much balanced by today still. 
but so but both of them are coming from where so co2 is normally coming because co2 is end product of the energy consumption of all living organs plants not only bind co2 but when there is no light during the night times they also release co2 okay during the daytime when we have photosynthesis working the plants are producing much more oxygen and capturing CO2 as they are during the night, you know, breathing. The CO2 is a breathing uh, product and breathing is a normal process that everybody does. Humans, animals, plants and bacteria, everybody breathes because you use uh, oxygen to, to burn carbon and you get CO2 and you get energy from that. Now, okay, that's all is fine, but then the unnatural CO2 resources. And unnatural resources are that, that we are pumping out the, the oil. Uh, we are burning the oil in cars and whatever. We'll be boiling it to heat the houses. And, and that is an extra load of, of CO2 in the atmosphere. Okay, that has always happened also because since, uh, you know, humans started to use fire, we have been always burning something. In the beginning, we burned uh, trees. Then we started to burn peat. Then we started to burn coal. And then we started to burn whatever, gases and all, all the rest. Whatever is possible to burn, we always have been burning something. Because, you know, we have to cook and winters are cold. So until certain moment, the production of CO2 by, by mankind's activities have been balanced by this daytime plant capturing of CO2 because there was less of us humans. We cooked less. We lived in colder rooms. And what is even more important, we did not force living in places where climate is not suitable in very warm places. So we have to keep in mind that since 2000 and uh, I think 10 or even earlier, we are spending more energy on cooling down our living rooms, the air conditioning, as compared to warming up our living room. So the cooling, we, you know, to live in a warm place, we, we, we live in a warm place, but then for some reason we want to have it cooled. So that's, that's a problem. So the, the more the climate is warming up, the more we have to cool to be able. So they tell that in 10 years or 15 years, the the Persian Gulf area like Emirates and Dubai and Abu Dhabi are going to be impossible to live without air conditioning running nine, nine months a year because the daily temperatures are going to, average temperatures are going to be over 40. So that's, that's a problem and to keep us living there. So we have to produce CO2 that makes the weather even warmer. No, okay, that's about CO2, because we understand that CO2, we created, we created too much CO2, and then next thing is a methane. Methane is also, it's a normal product. The biggest methane producers in the world are the uh, wetlands. Uh, then the second and third biggest producers are the, the animals who are eating grass, like cows. One of the products of the digestion by bacteria is methane. And then we have also the rice fields that produce approximately the same amount of methane as the, the cows do. And then on the fourth place are landfills. In U.S., approximately one-third of, of the methane released is coming from landfills. 
So we have a problem because uh, methane is 84 times as efficient as CO2, as I told. And we have the landfills. We produce enormous amounts of garbage. And all that is going to landfills. And there in the beginning is oxidized. It produces CO2. After one year, the oxygen is finished in the landfill. Uh, then the methane-producing bacteria are jumping in. And then we, we have a methane released there. So that's, that's the other thing. Plus that, of course, methane is released during the, the forest fires and, and different industrial processes. And of course, methane is also released during oil production because methane is a byproduct. And, and during the gas production, it, it's, it's a byproduct and there is always leaking into the atmosphere. So that are the that are the big you know flames we see on offshore uh, uh, oil platforms that are you know they are burning the extra gas because less than less of course because everybody understands that to burn just gas is crazy while you can sell the gas but still there are oil platforms that burn gas I have seen that myself from there and actually like ten years ago flying over North Sea in the night you could see. Tens and tens of oil platforms burning gas. If you apply today, there are only very few ones who, which are still releasing the, the gas. They're burning the gas and releasing the CO2. They, they just, the gas is, is collected and used. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, this is uh, the climate change situation we are today. And then we have another problem coming up that we have to mitigate the, the climate change. So, of course, we have to fight the climate change, but it's a very complex situation because anything we do today, if that's sufficient or not, we will see in the very best case in 30 years. Okay, so 30 years is a long time. And science says we only have about 10 years to reverse the climate change process at the moment. Do we have enough time? I sincerely do believe we have enough time because the global experiment has been done. And the beginning of the global experiment was the signing of the Montreal Agreement on uh, limiting the uh, refrigerator gas uh, released to the atmosphere. So that is what in 90s was the biggest problem, the ozone hole above Antarctica. So we are not back to the situation where before the ozone hole, hole appeared there, but already in 10 years after signing the Montreal Agreement, when the refrigerator gas is uh, released, the atmosphere was, was strictly limited, uh, the depletion of the zone stopped. And now there is a restoration process. The prediction is that this global experiment, if we call it like that, uh, will give a result in 80 years. So we have hope also with, with the climate change. So if we take the control of the situation and with CO2 and all many other things, then hopefully, like with the ozone hole also, in, in 10 years, we're going to see the first results. And that's great if we at least can stabilize the situation in 10 years where we are. Of course, it's, it's very complicated. Like we discussed, you know, it's, it's, it's a political decision and, you know, people have the right to charge their phones. But still, there is a hope. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really good. When in 1990, we decided to resolve the problem with the southern polar uh, region. So today, the main challenge is in the northern part of, of the Earth. So the, we, we have the ice melting on, on Greenland. And 
You know, the polar bears don't have enough ice to, to hunt seals for their food and so on and so on. So there is a very important moment on, on the northern circumpolar region, and that is a permafrost program. And that is something that most of people do not really realize the, the big danger of that. Because in circumpolar region, in the permafrost, uh, there is so much carbon, there is, there is so big carbon sink that the total amount of this uh, carbon, which could release the CO2 to the atmosphere, is somewhere around or even bigger than the, the amount of carbon we could release if we burn all the oil uh, in, uh, on, on the, under the ground, what we know today. We need, don't need to burn it. It's going to burn itself. When the climate gets warmer, what happens is that uh, the permafrost melts, because the very thin layer of the organic material on the top of the frozen soil starts to melt. Bacteria and fungi are happy to start eating the, the organic material and they are going to release CO2. Plus, in deeper layers, when it melts more, the processes that do not require uh, oxygen are starting and then the methane is released. And methane is, is 80 times more potent uh, a greenhouse gas as compared to CO2. So we're going to get the catch-22 where, you know, the climate is warming up, permafrost is melting, the permafrost is releasing big amounts of CO2 and methane that is warming up the climate. And so we are in, in a closed loop. So we are warming and we are releasing and we are releasing and we are warming. So that's, that's another very big problem what we have in the nor northern circumpolar region which has to be taken care of, of course, also. It's not only Siberia, it's also Canada, because the area around the Arctic Circle has, has something which is called permafrost. That means that, that the lower levels of, of, of ground are frozen, and they never melt, because, you know, the permafrost is actually growing. So when the... When the we have normal climate, so it's every year it's a little bit more, it's frozen, and every summer it, it defrosts a little bit less, and so on and so on, and new organics is coming from the top. So in the permafrost, a lot of organic material is trapped, and uh, the permafrost also includes a lot of, of peat is frozen. So in the, in, in the, in the, in the box, Big pox and, and also in permafrost, enormous amount of CO2 is trapped. And the CO2 is not released because it's so cold that bacteria do not uh, live there. So it's, it's like in a refrigerator. So now if we take this organics-rich material and we melt it, uh, so oxygen we can get from atmosphere, the bacteria are there, bacteria all over. So when it when the permafrost melts, then the bacteria start to eat that carbon, which has been there the upper layers, you know, ten years. The next layers, hundreds of years below, that thousands of years. You know, then we then we melt it out. Then we come down in the permafrost to to that level where the moments were found. You know, which have been you know ten thousand years frozen. So the, then when we melt these 10,000 years of ground, all this carbon stuck in the permafrost is going to be eaten up 
slowly by bacteria. So bacteria eat up the permafrost, they release CO2, the CO2 secures the atmosphere, it heats up the planet, and the heat melts more permafrosts, more bacteria eating the, the carbon, releases CO2, and then we get again, you know, this, this death cycle. So this is a big, big danger. So when we take out this, this material from the refrigerator and it starts to, to slowly produce CO2, then it's... Uh, then we are we may be very soon back to this situation like we had when you know dinosaurs were running around it a lot. The climate gets so warm. Mm-hmm. So at the moment it hasn't started. It has started, and of course the uh, the the one big problem is all this permafrost and also this all this this Nordic problem is the the exploitation of the area, the the gas gas drilling, and also the the human influence because. Uh, the biotope, the, you know, the, the 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 plants that cover the the permafrost, cover the the, gra- the, the, the the ground, are so fragile that you know, if you take a car and you drive through that frozen tundra uh, once, you 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 can see this uh, uh, after hundred years that somebody had been driving. So it's. The nature is very fragile. The, the ecosystem has very short food chain. It's very short. It doesn't have resilience so much. And we, we go there with, with our big machines and we start to, we start to drill oil. Uh, then we destroy a lot of that. And it, it has been counted that every year, I think like 0.8% every year more of CO2 is released uh, uh, from permafrost. So it's, it is a the process have actually stopped. And that is because the climate is getting warmer. The climate is getting warmer and also the, the human, you know, destroying the, 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 the nature there. Because mm-hmm. the, the main part of the nature is this, you know, the, the carpet, the, the living carpet on the top of the permafrost that is keeping the refrigerator cold. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. isolation, you know, the, the permafrost is isolated from the from the atmosphere by 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 the by the plants and you know the upper part of the of the soil that is living and that's not frozen. And when we when we have any kind of human activity, we we destroy this this insulation layer. That's that's a, that's a, a permafrost problem. Okay, I understand. The Arctic permafrost is fragile and human activity has already started to impact it negatively by destabilizing it, releasing CO2 and methane into the atmosphere. However, there's a lot more of that sitting under the ground currently, and we should be rather worried about it. Yeah, yeah. Many scientists today across the world are shocked of its per- premature melting, actually, and this is one of the major reasons why we need to take action urge- urgently to stop the further warming of the climate and other activities that disturb the permafrost and destabilize it. As we are reaching the end of this interview, what are your key takeaways, Madis? I'd like to come back to this Montreal story, the Montreal Protocol, because we have an example then uh, uh, when governments could agree on something, and uh, this agreement has been working, and it has resulted in something. So if we could now implements a similar approach to the climate change and to the problems we know today on that issue, then most likely 
we could reverse the situation. We, you know, the, the mankind has became so powerful during the last hundred years that we are now in power to destroy the planet. So if, if we are in power to destroy the planet, we can also save the planet. So we have so much technology, so much knowledge. And the only thing which is uh, still missing is we don't have a will to do it. But it's just, you know, the forbidding, uh, ch- changing the, the refrigerator coolant uh, situation by, by 1987 agreement and then implementing in 1989 wasn't neither a very light issue because all, all developing countries, all people wanted to have refrigerators. So now we can the same way, you know, tell to the people that, okay, we have to find another sources of energy, another implementations to, to, that we can fulfill your wishes. So that's, that's the thing, though. We, we should be able to fix this thing because we are so smart and so powerful today. Yes, I agree. And having this example of something quite similar and significant that we already have achieved should just give us the motivation and will to do it again. Thanks. <laughs> okay, thank you very much.